Good afternoon. And welcome to another edition of Valley Voices. I'm Amy Haddon Marsh, your host. And my guest today is Regina Lopez Whiteskunk. She is a member of the Ute Mountain Ute Nation. She's the former head councilwoman of the Ute Mountain Utes and former co chair of the Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition. Welcome to the show, Regina Lopez Whiteskunk. Good afternoon, everybody. It's really nice to have you back on Valley Voices. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, dealing with the, the season change. We had a, a a nice little cold snap roll in a couple of days ago, and we had a little snow here and there over the last couple of days. So other than that, just um, rolling along. And how is your family? My family's doing well. We're, we're all dealing with it. And, um, you know, I think we're all so still kind of dealing with the, the pandemic in its own little quirky way. Yeah, I think a lot of people are. Well, I'm glad things are rolling along. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, the the recent restoration of the Bears Ears National Monument boundaries. But for listeners who may not yet know, I was just going to give a teensy tiny history, not even a history, but just what's happened in the past few years. President Biden restored the boundaries of Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante National Monuments in southern Utah earlier this month. The Grand Staircase Escalante Monument covers 1.87 million acres and was put in place by President Clinton. Bears Ears National Monument comprises 1.36 million acres and was put in place by President Obama. In 2017, less than a year later, President Trump reduced Bears Ears boundaries by 85% to allow for mining and other uses. Now, the original boundaries... Uh, that were declared during the the Obama era have been restored. So what I'd like to know, and I, what I think listeners would be really interested in, Regina Lopez-Weisskunk, is why this land is important to the Ute Mountain Utes, the Diné, the Hopi, the Uinta Uray Utes, and the Pueblo of Zuni people. It's very important to all five tribes because it is the historical homelands of, of the five tribes that are that serve on the coalition, but it's um, also important to many more that have come through there and that have um, either lived in those places before. And it's just a place that we are strongly connected to with our ancestors' lives being out there and our elders. This is important to us at this time because it's a it's a common issue that we all came together, which if you really technically look at the five tribes that are together on the coalition, it's the the, the Navajo Nation or the Diné, the Ute Mountain Ute, the Hopi, the Pueblo of Zuni, and the Uinta Ray tribe of Utah. Well, the Navajo and the Hopi, we know historically, have held strong enemy ties from, 
from generations back, but also even in today, they still have their their um, their disagreements, as wise the Utes and the Navajos, and so it's it's a historical time and a and a event that transpired between the tribes, and that's what makes it so special. If we can put down those enemy ties, if we can come together to to share in the common fight to protect these sacred lands and spaces and home homelands and territories of, of several indigenous people, then we should be able to be taken seriously as sovereign voices for our nations. Yes, indeed. I think it's fascinating that you talk about how um, historical enemies came together over this intertribal uh, coalition. Um, and you were co-chair of that coalition. And so I'm wondering, what are your thoughts about this so-called restoration of boundaries? Well, you know, my initial reaction is um, and was on that day, even when I found out that it was going to transpire I found myself in a very awkward place Hmm. um, because initially, you know, the hoopla, the joy, the celebration, um, the surprise, that all came with the first designation. And it was really hard to, to get back to that point of celebratory reaction. Um, And, and, you know, I think part of that had to do with the fact that you know, when the boundaries were redacted 85%, that was, that was a genuine hurt um, for me personally, because of the key role that I, I had the honor of playing um, with, with a lot of the heavy lifting and the, the testifying in Congress and committee in Salt Lake, you know, it, it was, it was a tough, tough road. And for it to be kind of thrown to the side and disregarded and um, dismantled to a sense, uh, it it was just really hard for me to deal with. So now we have a third designation, um, which added, you know, I think like a tad bit more. The original designation was 1.35. President um, Biden designated 1.36. I'm not sure what was added into that, but, you know, I just was in a really weird place for a few days. And, you know, I, I've been asked, you know, what, why, you know, what, what could I attribute that to? And I think part of it is, is feeling like the monument restoration was a part of a negotiating factor. We could have had President Biden, um, restore the boundaries earlier. After all, he did use it in his campaign slogans when he was running for presidency. So we kind of anticipated that the the change in the movement would have been a little earlier, but, you know, regardless, we're there. But, you know, I think it also reminded many of us that, um, you know, a lot of our elders and old people always told us you know, don't don't exactly 100% throw the trust to the federal government or to white people in general. They have a forked tongue. And so, you know, I think that that kind of came up, that bubbled up inside of me. 
And so I, it was reminded about the distrust and that it's not something that, you know, we can wholeheartedly say that um, if you promise something that it's going to get done. People ask me, are you celebrating? You know, we knew they're going to sign it. It's scheduled for, you know, a certain time. And I said, you know, I'm not going to celebrate until I see ink to paper and I hear the, the proclamation. I just needed that. Well, I'm wondering how much did Secretary, Interior Secretary Deb Holland talk with the five nations that were involved in the uh, intertribal coalition before this so-called restoration occurred? Well, um, a little while back, she did make her rounds into the area here. She did visit with the five tribes. Um, and, you know, I just, even prior to this, during the Trump administration, I seen a lot of indicators that, you know, public participation was something high on their priority to, to, to take lightly, to dismiss, um, you know, things like that were, were starting to weigh heavy on me because you know, these are, these are public spaces. This is public lands we're talking about. Um, these public lands have a history. They're ties to indigenous people and to, to people in this contemporary time as well. We all have a tie. And so it was really disheartening to hear that um, the erosion of the public process was being, um, being discussed. And I just could not see for anything clear, you know, that's a clear demonstration of democracy and how we participate in process. Yes, of course. You know, I guess before we take a brief break, you said uh, something in a recent interview with High Country News. Um, you said that uh, you compared taking away lands such as Bears Ears from indigenous groups to genocide. Talk more about that. You know, several years I had the honor of um, chaperoning a young lady um, who took part in the Bears Ears um, Prayer Alliance run just, you know, a few weeks um, out of when President Trump redacted the, the boundaries. We went and visited the United Nations and prepared a statement to present to the special repertoire. And, you know, one of the things that I strongly have always disagreed with and, and, and have felt is, you know, as you take these spaces away from people and the, the ability to access these places, access um, special places like the, the, the ancestral Puebloan sites, um, the ability to harvest herbs, those are strong ties to the land. We are very tied to the land. That's very much a part of our identity. It's very much tied to our language. And when we visited the United Nations and we visited with many, many um, people from all over the world, when you hear that being taken away from people and how that's attributed to being a part of their identity, that is an act of genocide. Those are, are events and actions that have been practiced around the world and largely in part through 
the years and the time that colonialization was occurring in many different portions of, of the world. And a lot of indigenous people were affected in the same way that we, we are, um, and some even worse. And I think that that was the big eye opener. Some were worse and some are still happening and violating human rights. And that, that is a human right. But it is not a human right that the United States recognizes as being related to genocide, because they failed to support the UN resolution supporting indigenous rights. You're listening to Valley Voices, and it is 444. My guest today is Regina Lopez Whiteskunk, member of the Ute Mountain Ute Nation, former head Councilwoman of the U Mountain Utes and former co-chair of the Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition. We're talking about, you know, sort of the impacts of this, uh, of President Biden's restoration or so-called restoration of, um, of Bears Ears National Monument and, you know, sort of the impacts that that's having on uh, Regina Lopez, White Skunk, and possibly uh, the other groups that were involved in the uh, intertribal coalition. Um, so, you know, Regina, this restoration, and I, you know, I may be incorrect here. Uh, that's why you're here with me, <laughs> is uh, it feels tenuous to me. Um I mean, Obama protected the area. Trump, you know, sort of reduced the boundaries and opened it up to <clears throat> mining and other uses. <clears throat> Excuse me. And now President Biden has put back these Obama-era protections. It seems that, you know, I'm wondering if the, the next president could just flip things over again. And... um what are your thoughts about that? It feels like a political hot potato. I feel the same way. I um, I just feel like, you know, it being a national monument and it's elevated to to that status, um, we've got to we've got to add to that. We've got to we really need to figure out a way to solidify more of those protections beyond the vulnerable spot as a national monument that's looking forward to elevating it to a national park, something that has more um, stance in both the um, financial area where, where it's going to be financially supported and have its own budget, whatever that may mean, um, as well as being able to work with the tribes and, and other stakeholders in, in the region here in respect to the, the management plans and making sure and ensuring that the indigenous voices are included, not just as consultants being consulted on it, and not just as advisors, but really as people that come to the table with authority to be able to guide and help substantiate these management plans. I think we're in 2021, right? We all speak, read, write English, we should be able to sit down and, and come to the table and, and, and really talk through some of these things that and get beyond some of those differences that have always haunted us historically. We're not cowboys and Indians out in the Wild West. We are human beings with intellectual backgrounds 
strong historical ties to who we are. And we all have an identity tied to this region. We have every, every ounce of energy to sit down and talk through it. Rather than letting it be a, a ping pong ball, I, I think we just need to utilize our systems and figure out the best possible way together. Not in the fashion that things have been done in the past where um, Utah delegation or other elected leaders go off and formulate the language and then come back to the stakeholders and the people and then ask for us. No, we should all be formulating it from the front half. That would save some time, energy and resources. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, Regina, but um, does not the Diné Nation um, manage or are they not in charge of Monument Valley, that national park? Um, I'm not sure if it's a national park. It may be um, a tribal park. I know like okay. they manage like the Four Corners Monument. That's managed by them because it's um, recognized as a a Navajo, um, Navajo or Diné park. Um, I don't want to say state park, but, but that's the same type of area. They manage those. I guess I'm just wondering if that, if that's an option for bear's ears, but I don't know. I, you know, I'm, it's, uh, that place is, is immense. And, and the history of your people on that place goes back to the beginning of time, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and it's interesting that you say, you talk about how you would, you don't want to be consultants. You want to be at the table developing the plans. Um, and I guess what's the difference? Well, as you well know, when you, in the matter of consulting, and it's, it's really interesting because it depends on what agency and what group you're talking to. They will either say uh, tribal consultation and they'll even go as far as calling it meaningful consultation, which I don't see the technical difference. Um, but really, they, those are, in theory, they're just formal talks, talks without meat and potato decision making or even considering and the issue I have with that is that, you know, tribal knowledge, that's truly valuable. Indigenous knowledge that are tied to the land, to, to the stories and to the origins of the people, those are far valuable to me than even the coal and the gold that you're going to dig up from Mother Earth. They are so valuable and they hold so much in bearing to our people and our identity. Now, when you think about science, that is in in western society that is so valuable because it presents valid evidence but i don't see how you can pit one over the other what i do see is how they can complement each other with traditional values and stories a lot of times you'll find a common thread within some of those stories that mesh with some science it is possible it's just how we as people value and place these values one over the other, creating almost a hierarchy in it. We do that. We complicate the matters. We like to create the differences. But it's so hard and touchy when we start to talk about letting them be braided together and working together. Why can't we do things together? 
Why does it have to be made up of knowledgeable people from science and maybe the knowledgeable experts that are within indigenous nations are the elders. They're the ones with the life experience. They're the ones who have the knowledge. That is where our experts are. I love that. You know, something, something that you mentioned also in the High Country News interview that really got to me. You said, and I'm quoting here, we're not saying we're entitled to these lands. We're saying we want these places protected because this is where life has always occurred for our people. Our people teach us not to think you can own air, water, and land, but that we serve these resources. We serve these resources. Can you talk a little bit more about that? It's, that's To me, that's beautiful, and it's the exact opposite of what capitalism uh, proposes to do with the so-called resources. Well, you know, we have, we're raised with a lot of guiding principles, and even what's embedded in a lot of those guiding principles that we're raised with are, are unwritten management plans. For instance, um, if we go out to harvest something, whether that's an herb or even firewood, we don't over harvest. We leave some behind for whoever comes behind us, whether they are human, animal, um, plants, other beings, we always leave some behind. When we partake of those resources, we also share gratitude. We share a prayer and we say, we're thankful for you. If we ever return back in the future, you know, you are our relative. And that's how we see it. It's all one circle and we all encompass it. We all occupy this space together because one is tied to the other. The land, the water, the animals, the plants, and even us. We're all together in this space. No one is far higher than the other. We all serve a purpose. The plants will serve us when their time is present. The water serves us. The water serves us all the time. That's just life. Water is life. We need it for everything that we do. We're thankful for it. And now we're in a time where it's, it's becoming scarce and sparse in, in our region. Um, you know, it, we just have failed to see that the greed is in the thought of ownership. The greed is putting a price tag on the air, the water, the land. That is greed. And that's not how we're taught to be. We're taught to be thankful of one another. We're taught to, to not over harvest. And we've always moved this way. But we've learned how to own things. We've learned these different systems. And it doesn't quite serve us. So sometimes we live in this weird, awkward place of, Yes, I see it. Yes, I'm experiencing it. Yes, I have to live within the system. But that's not how my heart feels. Wow, what a paradox. <clears throat> we have we don't have much to be about a minute left. Um, and I could talk to you about this all day long. And I'm really grateful that you took the time, uh, Regina Lopez Weisskunk, to uh you know, share your day with us here on Valley Voices. Is there anything you'd like to add uh, just really briefly about the Bears Ears situation? We have like 30 seconds. 
Yes, I do. I I want to I want to call light to um, an operation and a company that is near the Bears Ears, which is the Energy Fuels White Mesa um, Mill, which process is the only uranium processing mill in our country. We just we've seen the boundaries restored, but there's still a big threat that threatens the water quality, the air and everything that's in that place that we called for protection. Okay. I, I wow. want people to, to look into that, research it, talk to the to your elected officials, and let's see if we can do something about it. Tell us the name again of that mine or of the it company. Is, it's Energy Fuels is the company, okay. and the White Mesa Mill, which is located a few miles south of Blanding, Utah. Okay. The only uranium processing mill in this country and that is within the boundaries of of, just right outside of the boundaries and the bears ears landscape is just right in the background it's just a few miles north of the ute mountain ute community named white mesa regina lopez white skunk member of the ute mountain ute nation former head councilwoman of the ute mountain utes and former co-chair of the bears ears intertribal coalition Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you. It's always my honor. We're listening to Valley Voices.